Hi, Karen. I'm so excited to see you. And I'm so excited for this episode. Holy shit. Katie, as always, it is wonderful to see you and listeners buckle the fuck up. Buckle for real. up. I mean, if you, if you hit play on this or your podcast recorder hit play, cause you subscribe and you haven't looked at the title, you might want to pause and look and decide whether or not you want to go there with us. Yes. Yes. And if you have small children around might not be the right episode for that one, not because of language, which most likely we have language. Um, but always content content. Um, yeah, I, I have such deep gratitude for Tanya and listeners. If you don't know, Dr. Tanya Israel is a true beacon of light in our lives. Like we're so lucky that she has been a guest on our pod several times. And, um, she's a professor that uh, at the university of California in Santa Barbara, she, um, has an incredible book about that. We will link everything in the, uh, the description of the podcast about talking across the political aisle. That is extremely, extremely, um, timely always. Um, but she has a very unique, view on the world that I frankly think is incredibly cathartic to um, listen to and talk to. Yes, absolutely. Tanya is our unofficial third co-host and we, at the next time we have her on, we're going to count how many times she's actually been on. Yes. Um, But yes, I, those of you who are regular listeners will know that two or three episodes ago, Katie and I were talking about, I think it was the, when the news is too much episode. Yes. And I, we were talking about something very, very serious. And I said, you know, it's funny, but it's not funny. We really need Dr. Tanya right now. Like we need Tanya to come and kind of like talk us down from this. And I would say in some ways, this episode was the opposite of being talked down. (laughs) I am so grateful for it. And I feel like I, I am coming out of it better off, but yes, this, if you were, if you are waiting for the feel good, okay, Tanya is going to make us all feel better about, I mean, I know that I don't feel better. I feel like we were, she was going to be our security blanket. When I said, when I was like trying to conjure her up, like, oh, we need Tanya as a security blanket. This, that's not, uh-uh, that's not what happened today. No, it is not what happened today. What happened today, listeners, if you're like, what is this pod? We, okay. So if you've heard Tanya in the past talking about how to engage in dialogue with people who don't always agree with your point of view politically or otherwise, she actually doesn't just talk about it this time. We actually do it. Like we actually do it. And you might be thinking, well, wait, whatever you're talking about, you can read it in the description or the um, title. Obviously you'll know, um, you all probably agree on the same topic, but Oh, listeners just wait. (laughs) Like You might be right about that, but the conversation that ensues is really fucking real in, in like the most real way in a surprisingly real way that like you and I, Karen, were both sweating when we got off that call. <laughs> literally sweating, sweating, literally like Tanya said goodbye. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> I need a towel. I need to change my shirt. Shit. But really what it showed was that I know I said this just now before we press record, but that like real conversations don't have to be scary. Yeah. Well, and it also makes me remember that what we did, what she walks us through, this process she walks us through, like we say on the, sh- on the pod that you're about to listen to, 
you could do it with a thousand different issues, but I feel like I could do it with a thousand different things in my life. Like I have done something similar. I've read a ton of money books, finance books, and they always have you do this exercise of like, why do you feel the way that you do? How do you feel about money? Like literally your emotions in your body, in your bones. How do you feel about money? Not what do you think about it? How do you feel about it? And why do you feel that way? And I I'm just remembering based on that conversation, there's so many things that I believe in, that I feel, and that I live my life doing that I have not thought about why for a long time. Yes. I love that example. Like the surfacing of like our deep held beliefs. I don't think we do ever. I mean, ever, like Mm -hmm. I definitely live in an echo chamber of my own thoughts. And like, I only talk to people who believe the stuff that I believe, like, which I'm not proud of. And I like, I definitely I'm never questioned. Well, why do you believe that? It's more about like, well, of course you do. And this, and this, and this, and this is why the other person's wrong. And this is this and this, and that's all it is. And like that conversation is getting old to me. Like that conversation mm-hmm. has no nuance or complexity in it at all. That conversation is bringing us to where we are right now. And like the constant, you know, slinging back and forth of insults, no matter what the topic. And it's like, okay, how can we actually get deeper? And like, how can we make space? Like Tanya says at the end of the pod for these types of conversations and to really look into what we actually feel. I mean, that was damn, that was deep. Like, holy shit. I had no idea. Some of the things that came out of my mouth, I really am shocked by it. That is legit. Well, and I think the other thing that it made me realize is that I, there are things that I can do And this is one of the gifts that Tanya gives us every time. And we aren't explicit about it this time, but every every time we've talked to her, I feel like she has left us with something that we can do to make this situation better. And I walk away from this thinking like, there are absolutely things I can do beyond donating to Planned Parenthood that would help to make someone else's life better. And to make, I'm not gonna change these fucker politicians' minds and I don't have to, there are things I can do in my own community, in my own neighborhood that would make people safer and that would make, yeah, make people's lives more equitable and more fair and more just. So I also walk away from it feeling like that too. Totally. I know. It's amazing. I mean, she just gives so much hope. Like it's, and that's what I really hope that everyone walks away with. Like I'm sure listeners that you will have some feelings about this episode and we are here for them. Like we are here for the good, bad, nuanced, complex, ugly, all of it. Um, we'd love to hear from you, honestly. Like this is a, this is a different episode. I would say like what you said, like this is a, this is a special episode. Yes. Like, like we were talking about, like on this, you know, on the sitcoms, I feel like there was an abortion facts of life episode, or there's like an episode where somebody dies on family ties. It's just like on a very special facts of life. Like, I feel like this is that we're not doing a jokey sponsor slot this time. I feel like we're just like, okay, this is a very special, special, of course I'm not. Okay. Let's get into it. Yeah. Yeah. Special episode. All right. Well, Karen, I'm so grateful for you. And I'm grateful that we were able to talk to Tanya today. I hope everybody enjoys it. Same. Hello, Tanya. Welcome, welcome, welcome back. We're so happy to have you. 
Hello, I'm so happy to be here. Just delighted. Well, Antonia, I mean, we didn't exactly conjure you up because we said on the episode, we really need Tanya back. So it's not like we just thought about you when you appeared, but um, I'm going to pretend like we did. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> well, you know that sometimes you don't even have to do that. You're just like talking about something that that makes me go, ooh, I have something to say about that. <laughs> I'm just going to reach out to Katie and Karen and invite myself on the pod. So <laughs> it we can we can always be conjuring each other up. It is wonderful. To be oh my here. gosh. I'm so glad. I'm so glad we're conjuring each other. I'm so glad that you <laughs> feel comfortable, Tanya, emailing us and saying like, what about this? What about this? And then we're going yes. back. And so, yes, you are definitely our third co-host for sure. And like, it's just so wonderful to have you here. And, you know, it's been an interesting time. I think, you know, when Karen and I were talking a couple episodes ago, it was immediately after the Texas um, school shooting. And Karen, you're the one who, you know, mentioned Tanya, you know, and then I was saying like, oh my gosh, yes. And then we both talked about it. And then, and then I think our exact words were like, Tanya, if you're listening, we hope you're listening. I hope you're like, you know, I hope you're willing to come on. And then here you are. And I'm just, I'm so grateful because I also know that as much as we love you, our listeners really love you as well. And it's just so nice to have a voice that is kind of a, a voice that people know and also trust. And, um, it brings a lot of peace and grounding, I think to this show. So thank you. Oh my goodness. I, I love you all. And I love your listeners. Um, and gosh, if I can do that for anyone, then I'm not going to pass up that opportunity. And I know that it was, um, a couple of weeks ago that, that this had initially come up and just want to say, Thank you for giving me, uh, we were supposed to do this last week and then I got COVID. So, and I'm doing okay now. So nobody worry about me. Like I'm doing much better, but um, I was really bummed that I missed that whole conversation about nougat because that was just (laughs) fascinating and inspiring. And, you know, I'm sure I could have had a lot to say about that, but I think you all covered a lot of ground there really. (laughs) So not sure you needed me as much for that conversation, but it was great. I mean, we always need you. And as it's interesting, as we talked about before we hit record, a lot of people have a lot of feelings about nougat and about candy, specifically chocolate bars from childhood. So I'm glad that that also resonated with you because yeah, people got a lot of feels about chocolate. Next book, Dialogue About Nougat. (laughs) (laughs) Which side of nougat are you on? Which side? I got so many texts about that. Like, I mean, it was really shocking how many people were just like, had so many opinions about candy bars. And also like the deep dive listeners, if you're listening, thinking, what the heck are you guys talking about? And it's okay. You can just go back to our last episode where we talk about nougat, the, the, and specifically the nougat inside of like three musketeers and, you know, Snickers bars and that kind of thing. I did a little bit of research and basically there are multiple types of nougat and there is like a artisanal type of nougat that is like actually made with real food. That's not the kind of nougat we're talking about here, people. Like we're talking about the nougat that is unrecognizable as an actual food group. Tastes amazing, but um, not exactly the artisanal type that you're going to get at like a fancy grocery store. Tanya, what did you have any specific, just, just to recap, did you have any specific thoughts about nougat or candy bars that you I'm just, I'm just going to tell you that it was a really evocative conversation because it made me remember (laughs) exactly where I was 
when I discovered that they had invented Milky Way Dark. Oh, where yeah. were you? I love that this was like a seminal moment in your life. It, it totally was. <laughs> I was. I was in the Graduate School of Education at the University of Pennsylvania. I was doing my master's degree and I was standing at the candy bar machine like we were on break from class. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> and it was Milky Way with dark chocolate on the outside. And really what's on the inside of the candy bar I know is important, but probably what's even more important to me is what's on the outside. And dark chocolate is just my jam. So I think if they would just, you know, coat every candy bar in dark chocolate, that would increase the value of them for me so much. So anyway, that was that was the very exciting, um, very personal experience that uh, that I thought of in the, hearing you talk about nougat. I love anecdotes like that. I really do. Like I only have my biggest, you know, personal experience with candy bars is when there was one house in our neighborhood that would give full-size candy bars at Halloween. It was the best. We mm -hmm. used to call it the funeral home because it looks like a funeral home. It's sad. I mean, their design of the house is like a little sad, but like it really looked like a funeral home. It still does to this day. And, but they got, gave the biggest, like they would give us full Milky Way size, full Snickers bars. And when I was really little, we could go around twice and they wouldn't really balk at it. But once we turned like 12, they were like, yeah, and now like we need to be giving this to children <laughs> I was like I'm still a child sad yeah um so in the spirit of our seamless segues <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in the in the spirit of the of course I'm not okay seamless segue so Tanya there are many reasons we wanted to have you back but I love your idea for this conversation so can you walk us through a little bit what you want yeah. us to talk I am happy to do that because there is so much going on in this world right now that feels like it's not just like I'm not okay, but wow, things are just not okay. There's so much sadness around gun violence. There's, uh, you know, so much concern about what's going on in the states regarding uh, restrictions on reproductive rights, regarding uh, anti-LGBT legislation. Uh, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. I can tell you that um, based on personal experience now. And it's like, wow, what are we supposed to do with all of this? So I wrote a piece uh, that uh, was in Medium uh, a couple weeks ago about dialogue about abortion. Because I was like, all right, what are we supposed to do about this? How on earth am I going to apply the work that I'm doing to this? Well, it turns out that that's actually how I started doing this work on dialogue is um, that I brought together, this was back in the 1990s, I had brought together pro-choice and pro-life people to have dialogue with each other. And I was like, okay, Maybe we can do some more dialogue, but I was also feeling like, I don't know that people are down for dialogue across the spectrum right now. Like nerves are a little too frayed. People are in um, such emotional places with it that, that that's gonna be a particularly hard thing to do right now. But what if we can even start by having some dialogue with people who are pretty much on the same side that we are. But can we get beyond just the, 
yep, this is where I am. I'm here too, you know, and hey, we're both at the march carrying the same signs, you know. I think all of that is helpful just to feel like we're not alone. I thought, you know, maybe there's some more of it that we can have some conversation about just, and we could do it about any of these issues. Um, so, so maybe I'll let you all pick and we can sort of, I'll, I'll try to guide us in some kind of conversation about it. How's that sound? Ooh, I love this so much. Thank you for being willing to illustrate this to people and to help us kind of drive, you know, or like kind of initiate that and also talk about things. I mean, in terms of topics, oh gosh, Karen, um, do you have any that are, well, I mean, so I am a lesbian and I have no intention of getting pregnant and don't have relations that would result in pregnancy, but I am very passionate about abortion rights and reproductive justice mm. rights. And so it's an interesting conversation for me that it doesn't impact me, hopefully, ever personally. Well, no, I'm, I'm postmenopausal. Never mind. It will never impact. This is not a decision. I forgot about that whole thing. That will impact me personally, but it's still something that I feel like I fight for. So I feel like that's the one that appeals to me right now, I think, to talk through. I love that. I feel so similarly in the fact that I am so passionate about reproductive rights. So I would love that. Yeah, that sounds great. That's awesome. Well, let's, let's do this. Let's uh, try to have a deeper conversation. And hopefully this is just kind of some modeling for, mm. you know, if other people want to try to have these kinds of conversations too, let's, uh, you know, I, I'm very interested to see how this goes and hear how it goes for other folks. So um, great. Karen, you had started talking a little bit about it. So maybe you can talk a little bit more about like, how did you come to be pro-choice then? If, is that how you describe yourself? Yes, pro-choice, pro-abortion rights. I think for me, I, you know, I started identifying as a feminist as soon as I knew what that word meant in college. I was like part of feminist groups. I lived in the all-women's dorm way longer than anybody else should. Anyway, you know, I, I really identified with both feminism and with womanhood. And I think for me, it was about choice. Like to me, the way that feminism appealed to me was about choice. That even in the mid to late nineties, women didn't have a lot of choices in our lives. We were, there were a lot of boxes we were supposed to fit in. There were a lot of labels we were supposed to expect. And there was a lot of other people telling us how to be out in the world. And so this notion of choice, like if you want to stay at home, if you want to graduate from college and stay at home and raise a family and never have a career, that's great for you. But I don't want somebody telling me that that's what I have to do. So I think that's kind of how I came around to it is like, I don't want anybody telling me to do what to do with any part of my life, let alone my body. Yeah. So pro-choice like that verbiage is a really good fit for you. And that it's so much about autonomy and women's bodily autonomy. Um, and that's very much connected with your feminist values. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How, how about you, Katie? How did you come to, to your views on abortion initially? Yeah, I think for me, I, I think it comes back to me for me to plan parenthood. Like I, when I started having sex, I did not feel comfortable going to a doctor and talking about it and getting birth control. And so I went to Planned Parenthood and I will never forget 
going to Planned Parenthood and asking for birth control and really leaning on the gynecologist that was, that was there with me as almost like a counselor. Like I just felt like I couldn't talk to anyone about it. And it wasn't, this is not a knock on my parents who I know listen to this podcast. And this is not a knock on anyone in my life. This is truly like my own journey. And I remember not even knowing what Planned Parenthood was. All I knew was that is a place that I could safely go and get birth control. And then when I learned, I had such a positive experience there that I ended up really looking into the organization and realizing that abortion is one of the services that they provided. Um, and I had not really thought about abortion at the time. And I really, I never, I, I just don't think it had, it has ever truly occurred to me to be against it ever, never, ever like in my bones has never, because I think that I also what Karen's saying resonates so strongly with me in that I never want to tell anyone what to do, period. I don't believe in telling people what to do with their lives, with their bodies. I do not. And I know that people have very strong opinions the other way and that they believe based on whatever background or research or whatever, that they do have the right to tell people what to do. And I am so strongly against that. And I think that part of the reason why I'm so strongly against that is because I have felt as a woman that I have been told what to do my entire life and in every single second of my life. And it makes me very angry to even acknowledge that, frankly, um, because as a woman, you are told exactly how to be at all times. And you can go against that, but you can also feel the ramifications of that. Like there's almost immediate ramifications if you decide to, for example, um, not shave your body hair, or if you decide to not dye your hair in a certain way or cut your hair in a certain way or wear certain clothes. And it's not even to fit in. It's like in society, there is so, there are so many unspoken, unwritten, um, innate expectations of women, it's almost impossible to be a woman in this world that feels like they are, they belong in every aspect. And so why put more pressure on women to do one more thing? And PS abortion is such, I just, I just believe in the choice of every person to be their own human being. And so, and I also have personal experience with very close friends of mine who have gone through that um, experience and walked them through it. And it's something that I just, I feel so grateful to have even been in the presence of people who were um, empowered enough to make a choice that made sense for themselves. And so the idea that um, anyone would take a choice away from a human being on what they wanted to do with their body is fundamentally against like literally every cell in my body. Yeah. And you know, your some of it then for you really had to do with similar to what Karen's saying. It's about autonomy. It's about freedom. It's about making your own choices. You also had this other piece, which was about feeling um, a supportive, positive connection with an organization that is known for providing abortion services. And so, you know, you felt like I trust these people, it sounds like, to, yes. to be providing this. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
you know, for me, it was, I remember I, I found this book on my parents' bookshelf when I was in high school. It's called Mandatory Motherhood. My parents had this very secular, intellectual, um, left-wing <laughs> uh, bookshelf. And, and I read this and it was, you know, very much a, a political case um, for abortion rights and for reproductive rights. And I remember getting in arguments with people in high school about it. And I, you know, I had all these arguments, uh, all, all the reasons that, um, that pro-choice was supportive of women, that it was wrong to force women into these roles and, and tell them what to do with their bodies. And <clears throat> so there was, there was sort of a cognitive, um, approach that that I that brought me into it. And then I became a women's studies major. And so it was very much aligned with this idea about women's choices and seeing how women have historically been prevented from exercising their own choices. And the idea that I wouldn't be able to exercise choices about my own body and have that kind of autonomy that was just something I was willing to fight for. And so, you know, I would go to marches and I would do all these things. And my first job out of college was working in a clinic that provided abortion services as well as um, other kinds of reproductive health services. So I had some real front lines kinds of experiences with that um, as well. And so, you know, even like, you know, and I told you I'd done this dialogue stuff, my feeling about, um, women's reproductive rights has not wavered uh, that entire time since, since high school. I love this conversation. I just love this question because it is one of those things that I've, I've had this opinion, like you're saying, for so long, I haven't thought about it again. I made up my mind mm -hmm. 30 years ago and have never revisited why, how I got there. And it's so interesting to think through it right now, to hear both of you talk about it. And it's so, it's not just a personal thing because it's personal to our bodies, but it's personal because it's so much a part of who we all are. Mm. Like it's just interwoven into who we are and how we view the world and how we view being women. And I will say that not, that there are people who get abortions who are not women. So I wanna address that, but I, we're using women, you know, kind of as in a very blanket way, but I, it is a really interesting conversation to, to have because I've never thought about it again. So I'm curious then thinking about that, what's it like to sort of look back on how you originally came into your views and think about where you are now? Have, have there been, I don't know, uh, places along that journey where you've been affected by other things along the way? Or would you think about it differently now than you would have then? I, I mean, yeah, <laughs> this is so interesting. I think, um, I second absolutely everything you're saying, Karen, uh, because I have such deep gratitude, Tanya, for you to even ask this question. It's so like you say, Karen, it's so much part of like who you are. It's so much part of who I am that I don't even think about it. Like, it's like talking about if I have a right hand, like that's how ingrained it is in who I am as a human being. And it's like, but thinking about my journey with it makes me very emotional. It actually brings up a lot of anger. 
um, for me. And for me, as someone who is in a relationship with a man, and I think there is, if there's anything that has changed at all, it is this, it's this conversation around, um, I don't even know how to say this properly. Um, so Tyler and I can't have children and we like, we're not physically able to, and we, um, there is a conversation. The only thing that I think has changed since I went to Planned Parenthood when I was a teenager is that, that, because like, I think that there's something that has changed in me, um, where sometimes I hear about people who also cannot have children and they get very upset about the concept of abortion that other people can, can get pregnant and then do have an abortion. And that has just never, like, I've, I've always watched that from afar and just thought like, how interesting that like, that would occur to them that they would be upset about it. And in no way am I trying to make anyone wrong about their experience because yet again, doubling down on what I said earlier about like people can have their own experience, be who they want to be. That's just not how I experience the world. And so I think that's something that is a little bit different. And I'm not saying I'm better than anyone else because I don't have those feelings um, at all. I'm not saying that, but it's just interesting because that has entered the conversation since I decided that I was pro-choice. Thank you for sharing that, Katie. I know it's not a fun thing to talk about and I know it resonates with a lot of people and it's something that we are not encouraged to talk about. And so thank you for that. And, you know, I think for me, what I just thought of, it's so, it's just such an odd thought to have surfaced 30 years later is that I think before feminism in my life, before I really understood what choice meant and bodily autonomy meant. And before I started having sex, I think there was this part of me that was very judgmental about this. Like, how could you get yourself into a situation where you had to do this? Like, I think young Karen, there was a stage in young Karen's life where that is what I thought. And it's interesting to me, like, I don't know what flipped the switch for me. I don't know if it was feminism. I don't know if it was talking to friends who had abortions or friends who frankly had terrible things happen to them at college and found themselves in the situations where they had to. Like, I don't know how that changed for me, but it's interesting to think about that evolution for me of like being this judgmental little shit at, you know, 17 or 18 and having this awakening. And I wonder how many women are out there who had a similar awakening around this issue and that you can have it at any age. And I wonder how many people are having it now. Like, it's one thing to be strident about it when Roe is there and safe and you know you have it as an option, but how strident are you about it when that option is now gone? I don't know. Wow. Thanks for that. Thanks so much to both of you for kind of going there and being vulnerable and sharing some hard things. And I, I was thinking about for myself, how things have changed. And I mean, I think definitely working in a clinic that provided abortions was really significant um, for me. I mean, I would hold women's hands, you know, through the procedure, I would do the contraceptive education, we would always do contraceptive education, 
it's not the best time to do contraceptive education on the day that somebody's there for the procedure. But um, usually I was working with women who had already made up their minds. Later on, I worked in a college health center and I would be seeing women shortly after they had gotten a positive pregnancy test. So sometimes those women were more in the process of making their choices. And one of the things that I really got was it's not taken lightly. Um, it's not taken lightly by the providers. It's not taken lightly by the women who are going through it. And it's hard. And it's not, it's not trauma. You know, it's, it's, it's not easy. And it's, I mean, in some ways also, um, you know, certainly giving birth and raising a child or giving birth and putting a child up for adoption is also hard. Like, like any of those decisions, any of those things that you might do when you're faced with uh, an unwanted pregnancy, I think, or an unintended pregnancy at least are challenging. So, so I think all of that complexity of it came in for me. I was also aware that like when, when, we're, when, when the patients were coming in on the day for their procedure, they had a lot of emotion and, and I absorbed a lot of that. I didn't know how not to do that at that point in my personal and professional development. And so that was hard. It was hard for me also. Um, so I think that that's a big piece of it, that I sort of carry this like emotional tenderness around the people who are going through the procedure. I also recognize, you know, it's, it's not ideal. It's not like, I'm not pro-abortion. I'm not like, this is a great thing because it is hard. And it was hard. I remember when there was, you know, the 17-year-old who came back again, like six months later. Uh, it was hard when I was talking to the woman who said, you know, if I weren't in here, I would be outside with the protesters. Um, and I know that we can look at that and go, oh my gosh, how terrible, what a hypocrite. But I'm just like, oh my God, how hard for her. Um, and so I really think that there's just so much complexity to people's individual experiences with it. And people are, um, I don't know, just living all of that and just thinking about all of the complexity that people are living in it. Thank you for sharing that, Tanya. I, I think, wow, I wish, I wish the listeners could see Karen in my faces when you said what you just said about that woman who, if she wasn't in the clinic, she would be out protesting. I mean, that just shows that it's such a beautiful illustration of the complexity of this conversation and the needed complexity of this conversation. I think that there's, you know, there's so much that is just put in the right category or the wrong category, depending on where you sit. But there's so much, there's so much humanity that's actually in the middle. And it's so wonderful. To, thank you for telling us that. I think one question I have, if you don't mind me asking a question within these questions, um, is about, uh, you know, the people. And I guess what I'm trying to say is like, 
frankly, the anger that I feel for around politicians who have such, you know, strong beliefs on this. And I guess I'm wondering, is there complexity there or is there a way, even though a politician is not sitting here with us today to think about that in a different nuanced way that could actually be helpful to kind of see this in a more holistic way than just vilifying the, you know, I don't even want to say their names, but people know them, the people that are so, so against the rights of women who are in places of power. You know, I think the thing that changed for me most wasn't my feeling, weren't my feelings about abortion, but were my feelings about people who had different views than I did about abortion. And that's really what the dialogue that I was engaged in helped me with, because I would sort of look at somebody else's views, and I would evaluate it based on my values and my experience. So I remember there were, you know, I met some people who were um, pro-life feminists. And I was always like, well, you can't be a pro-life feminist. That's an oxymoron. And which is really easy to say, but to actually say to somebody, well, tell me about that. Tell me about your beliefs. And to hear somebody sort of talk about how they were viewing things and understanding things from their experiences and their values. And I was like, oh, wow, the conclusions that they come to are completely logical if you start where they start. And if I'm evaluating their conclusions based on my criteria, it's just the wrong metric. And it was really helpful for me to hear more of that depth and complexity to what their views were. And sometimes they would talk about, you know, well, women are sometimes pressured into terminating a pregnancy, either by a parent or a partner or by this, their circumstances in society. And I'm like, I can't argue with that because I, I know that to be true. And so that I don't think that that means you know, oh, everything I say is invalid, but I also don't think all the things that I think make everything that they say invalid. That's part of the complexity that I see about all of this. So when I hear somebody who is pro-life, I'm, I'm like, oh, tell me more about that. Like, I want to know more about where you're coming from. I'm not going to make assumptions about what that means to you. Okay, so then there's, you're asking about politicians. So there's politicians and then there's the rest of us. So most of us are not politicians. Most of us are not political strategists. Most of us are not spokespeople for a movement. And so I'm just going to set aside that actually rather small minority of people and say, the rest of us, I think, have a lot of complexity that we might be willing to express if we were in this kind of conversation. It's much harder for people who are doing this publicly, frankly. It's much harder for them to, to say something that's more nuanced. I mean, honestly, you know, like we don't let them. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not what we wanna hear from the people who are the leaders. You know, we want the clarity. Um, and I mean, I think unless we are having these more complex conversations, we we're not going to allow for them to deal with these issues in more complexity and nuance. I would love to believe that some of the politicians I'm watching have complexity and nuance to them, but I don't know that I do, but that is very helpful. And I, I love this idea of, right. Like, like you've always been telling us to have conversations with people and to have dialogue with people and 
it obviously is really helpful to view a person as a person. And I also love this idea that it's really easy to go through life thinking, well, if something isn't a problem for me, then it's not a problem. And applying that lens to everything. And it's, it's harder to stop yourself and realize like this person's experience could be wildly different than mine is wildly different than mine. And I just love what you said about that math, like, or the metrics of it. And I think there's so many things that are coming up for me. I'm looking at my notes. Hold on. Oh, you know, one of the things I, that also came up for me, Tanya, when you were talking is like, one of the things that's been heartening to me in this is realizing how much support we've built around abortion now that there are women like you who work at clinics, who hold people's hands. You can hire an abortion doula. There are so many, we really just wrap people in care as they're going through this. And I feel like that wasn't always true, or maybe it was always true and we just didn't talk about it, but I really have been heartened that we have normalized this choice enough that we can show outwardly show compassion to these people. Yeah, it doesn't have to be something that's shameful uh, and hidden. Yes, exactly. I also love that. I It's interesting that you say that, Karen, because the conversations that I'm having with people that I actually don't even know, like some people who I meet in Bend and I'm sort of becoming friends with them, like, you know, like they'll, and then, you know, I, I hope to be friends with them, you know, long-term, they'll mention a time where they had an abortion. And it's kind of like, um, it's a conversation about their life. And it's a conversation that's like, you know, about, you know, it's just a conversation about like where they were at a certain time in their life and like a stage in their life. And it's just like a getting to know you piece. And I am so heartened by that also, because it makes me feel like, oh, like this conversation is becoming more acceptable or at least more visible in circles that might not have been. And maybe I do come off as someone who is pro-choice, but even then, like, I would hope that like, that people are a little bit more receptive to having conversations like this, but also to hearing that the people around them do make that choice. I have a very close friend who recently, very publicly, um, within a couple of weeks ago, uh, discussed publicly her abortion that she had many years ago. And I texted her immediately when I heard it. And I, cause I didn't know. And I was just like, I'm so proud of you for having the courage to say what you said. And it's just, um, I just think it's interesting because it's, it is a conversation that is coming up. And I hope that like you say, Karen, like with Roe v. Wade, um, being around for as long as it, has been, hopefully we've built that scaffolding, that infrastructure that can withstand whatever storm we're walking into. I appreciate that we're having this conversation because I do feel like sometimes even asking people questions can feel challenging. You know, somebody says, well, I'm pro-choice. And I'm like, I'm pro-choice too. Why are you pro-choice? You know, like, like it can be like, why are you even asking? But um, but I appreciate having a chance to, to unpack this all a little bit. I'm, I'm curious if there are, you know, when, when I hear sort of challenges from 
pro-life people, it's like, well, how do you reconcile this? You know, like you think that people should be able to make their own choices. What about babies? Like people, you know, we can say, well, you know, most people in the, in the United States think that abortion should be legal, which is true. Most people in this country also think that there should be some restrictions on abortion. So are there restrictions that you feel like would be appropriate or that you could support. So I'm just kind of curious if there are aspects of that that, I don't know, you want to talk about at all or anything you want to address. Katie and I are pointing at each other on Zoom. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, this issue of choice. I mean, and, and then I, I come back with, I'm not answering your question, Tanya, but I'm what what comes up for me, this whole, oh, you're talking about choice. Well, what about the baby? And I think, okay, well, walk me through. Y'all don't want sex ed. You don't want comprehensive sex ed. You don't want to make birth control available at all. You certainly don't want to take care of children born to low-income people who can't afford to take care of them. We don't have good early childhood education, like all these things, like you treat these babies terribly when they arrive and yet you want to force them into the world. Like that to me is like, that's how I counter the, what about the baby story? Okay. Well, what you going to do with these babies when they're here? Like I used to work for a child welfare, you know, I worked for DCFS, the Illinois department of children and family services in child welfare. Like I, I watched and heard about every single day what happens when you don't give people the resources to raise their children safely. So I don't know, that's what comes up for me. I didn't answer the question, but. Right, like let's talk about paid medical leave. Like let's talk mm -hmm. about like, you know, what what is happening with so many broken systems in our country that to your point, Karen, they do not take care of the family. They do not care take care of the child. Um, Tanya, your question is, oh boy, the reason I pointed at Karen to answer it first is it's tough because I think that I, it's, it's testing me, I think, because it tests my conviction of telling someone that they can choose whatever they want, um, about any aspect of their life carte blanche. And yet I do find myself pro restriction in terms of, you know, a late term, you know, I, I don't actually know how common, which I don't think it's actually very common and I don't actually have the research, but I think it's extremely uncommon to even entertain something like that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that for me, pro-choice with the ram with the restrictions around um, an early term pregnancy is the ideal scenario. Um, and yet, yeah, I, I, I also stand by my, I can't tell people what to do. Yeah, I think it's really tough and it clearly brings up emotion and, you know, I, I mean, when Karen, you're talking and you're like, well, you know, and you, this and you, and I'm like, who are you talking to here? There's sort of this imagined pro-life person who you feel like is accusing you of something. It sounds like, right? Yes, absolutely. Or who is, um, not even accusing me of something, but saying, I, I don't want women to have this right. And I also don't support any of the things that would make it easier for people to have children. And I guess I'm talking about, well, you for me is more about politicians, more about policymakers, more about people who have the power 
over these rules in our lives who want to restrict abortion and want to cut the budget for DCFS, who don't want sex education in schools and want to, again, restrict abortion. Like, I, I feel like that's, that's maybe who I'm, I'm thinking yeah. of the you. Yeah. And we don't have to have all of the conversation today because, you know, I don't know how many hours people want to listen to this podcast. I would be happy to listen to it for hours and hours. But, um, you know, I, I think it's an interesting question to hold, to say, you know, not that somebody else is asking, but what if we ask ourselves that? You know, what if it's, what if, what if we're asking ourselves, well, like, are there, are there any lines that I feel like shouldn't be crossed? Are there any um, uh, qualms that I have about any of this? Even if it doesn't change my view and my politics, is there anything that makes me go, oh, I'm just not comfortable with that? And I would guess that that's true for a lot of people that no matter how strongly you feel on either side or any side of this issue, that there may be aspects of that that make you uncomfortable. And I would love it if we can inquire into ourselves around that, because I don't think this is an easy issue. Um, and and I don't think that we have to ignore all the complications of it or set them aside or push them aside in some way to feel clear in our values. Um, so I, I just kind of want to encourage a little bit of that. Thank you for that. I think that this, this is so interesting to you know, I know we've talked to you before, Tanya, about this conversation around having dialogue with people who don't agree. And I never, or, you know, people who have different views, I never thought that I could feel this much charge with two people that I love and have similar views to me. Like, that's so interesting. It's like, I, and it's, it's, it's also interesting. It's an interesting exercise, I think, because I'm not actually, I can't direct my anger at the two of you. And it makes it so that I have to really think myself, like truly, like you just said, like think about yourself and what, and ask those questions of yourself and be honest with yourself. And it's so easy to, you know, make someone else the wrong person when like, it's, it's just an easier thing. Like it's easier to create a punching bag than to actually like be silent and still and introspective about your own thoughts. And I'm kind of stunned, honestly, like at the power of this, like, this is really like this exercise is fascinating. I would love to have this exercise with you on a thousand topics, gun control being one, one of them also. Um, and it's just fascinating to me because I think this has been illustrated in media where, you know, there's a moderator between people who have a difference of opinion and it becomes a fighting match. I mean, this is generally speaking and really not that much nuance actually comes out of it. And so to have a conversation with the two of you who have similar sensibilities and to actually have learnings come out of that is so mm -hmm. fascinating. Like, thank you for that. 
thank you so much for being willing to engage in this. I, 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 I will come back for the next thousand episodes and we will do all the other topics too. I, I actually think it would be amazing to talk about uh, gun control and gun violence after we've just had this conversation where we're all like, we don't like to restrict anyone's autonomy. We want people to make, be able to make their own choices. And I'm wondering what kinds of things we might be saying about guns that might sound really different from that. And I, I want us to all be able to hold our own complexity and our own, I don't know, things that seem like contradictions, but I don't think that they have to be um, in a way. So thank you. This, is, this has been really uh, such a meaningful thing. And, and I appreciate how much trust we have among us that I think allowed us to do this and to go there. And, and that's one of the things that, that I really encourage people to consider is where do you have trusting relationships where you can have these deeper conversations. And learn about yourself and learn about other people. It's really just like you, like we're all saying, like it's, it is really eye-opening. Like I learned, I learned a lot about myself, I feel like in this conversation and Tanya, of course, we always want to keep you forever. Always. We do. We have to unfortunately be respectful of your time. Where can people find you other than multiple? I feel, oh, we should have counted. You're like our, our, you're our Steve Martin. You're definitely the guest who has been on the most times. (laughs) Yes. Yes. At least five, I would think. Right. I think it's at least next time. We'll we'll know next time. We'll know. Walking in. Okay. Excellent. Well, I've enjoyed every single one of them, however many there are. Uh, People can find me on tanyaisrael.com. You can follow me at Dr. Tanya Israel. And um, yeah, and if you, there's even a place on my website where you can share your experiences with dialogue. So if you have any of this kind of dialogue, I'd also love to hear about that from you. Amazing. Thank you so much, Tanya. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll definitely be in touch and contact about the next time we can have you on whenever you're available. Thank you so much. It's just been absolutely wonderful. Listeners, we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We'll see you next week.